This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. All right, say fight. We're going to win from within. Turn to your neighbor, say win from within. We're in week three of our spiritual growth campaign. Hey, we've got some new uh, merchandise, some limited uh, items that uh, we have gotten in. For those that are in person, swing by uh, the lobby table and take a look at some of the things that have just arrived. Hey, let me tell you, part of our spiritual growth campaign, at the very end of it, so in about two or three weeks now uh, away, we have a big outreach that's a part of the spiritual growth campaign. It's an opportunity for us to serve our community. We serve together. We've been growing. We've been uh, developing relationships in our life group. We've been learning how to fight and win from within. But at the end of it, it's all linked together, is this community outreach. We're doing this year, Light the Night. Say, Light the Night. Light the Night is an opportunity where we're going to have a lot of different games and activities. It's a family event where a lot in our community will be able to come. We're passing out flyers at a lot of the schools, and uh, we're inviting a lot of the community to come. In the past, you know, we don't know what will happen this year, but in the past, we've had uh, several thousand that have come on this evening. And so it's a big night for us. There'll be activities for preschoolers, activities for elementary and teenagers. So parents, if you've got preschool, elementary, or teenagers, you're going to want to bring them out and let them be a part of that. It's on October 29th. That's a Friday night. Doors will open, so we'll have a service uh, for the family, for the elementary and teenagers here in the building. Doors will open at 6 p.m., then we'll flow out to the activities that'll be out in the parking lot. Now, this is what we need from you. If you're in a life group, All of the life groups are going to be uh, choosing an activity that night that they're going to serve. We need thousands. I mean, I really need uh, many, many that are going to serve that evening. So if you're in a life group, life groups pick the activity. Uh, This week, you'll have an opportunity to choose the activity that you're going to serve in. If you're not in a life group, we need literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers to make this event happen that night. So if you would be willing to serve that evening, you see on the screen right now uh, a web link, a URL web link that you can go to, that you can get connected and help us serve that night. Uh, again, we need hundreds and hundreds to make this activity uh, and this outreach possible that night. It's a part of the spiritual growth campaign. So if you will, snap a shot of that with your phone. If you're watching online, go ahead and click on over there and uh, go ahead and sign up. If you're in a life group this week, your life group's going to be picking uh, an activity and as a group serve together in an activity that night. All right. One more time. Say with me, fight. Man, we're in week three. Week one and two uh, has set us up for where we're coming in at. Week one, we talked about defeating the desires of the flesh, the fight with carnality, the sinful nature. It's a battle. We set it up. 
and we begin to understand what it was going to take for us to win from within. Last week, we talked about God replacements. We talked about those things that take the place of God that finds our our attraction and our devotion and our dedication uh, slipping towards it, and we begin to challenge ourselves to deconstruct, tear down God replacements and make God first place in our heart. Today, we're going to talk about a fight that everyone fights. Doesn't matter how old you are, man or woman, it's a battle, and that is the battle of standing. Staying pure. Say staying pure. Last week we talked about the battle of the heart. Staying pure is a battle of the mind. Now I'm telling you, I'm going to dance on everybody's toes today. Well, scripture is going to dance on our toes today. And I'm just going to highlight scripture. We're going to look at three key passages today. We're going to go to Galatians 5. It's our core passage Galatians chapter 5, then we're going to pop over to 1 Thessalonians, so you may want to just get yourself ready, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we're going to land in James chapter 1. Father, thank you for the word that we're about to open. Father, your word is anointed, it guides us, it leads us, it corrects us, it inspires us, and today I pray it will instruct us and guide us on how to win from within. The battle of staying pure. And I pray, God, that you will illuminate. I pray that you will build a determination within, uh, the will within every one of us to say, I'm going to stay pure. And that, God, today you would be honored by that which is taking place at Christian Life Center. In your name, amen and amen. Galatians 5, our key passage for this entire spiritual growth campaign. In verse 16, reading from the Living Translation, so I say, Paul writing, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Can I say amen to that? Holy Spirit, guide our lives. If you let the Holy Spirit guide your life, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when, going to verse 18, when you are directed, guided, led by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And now he's going to list a few. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. Let me pause right there. Today we're going to be talking about staying pure. The works of the flesh, I think we can all attest to, are strong. There is a battle. We can hear it in Paul's words here. And there is a strong fight that the flesh has. And, and the flesh is drawing us. Our cravings are, are there to pull us along with us. And the enemy is stirring up the desires and the lustful passions that are within our heart. The flesh in itself is not sinful. 
But it's when we give in to the flesh that we find that we have sin. The flesh, the human body, is given by God. And it's for God's use. It's not the body that is evil. It's not the flesh and blood that is the evil. It's the desires of the heart and through the mind where we get captivated by that which the enemy stirs within us that pulls us down. In fact, the Bible says we are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit desires to dwell within, amen? And man, what I love about worship time is what we're doing is we're emptying the flesh and we're emptying carnality and we're emptying the works of the flesh and, and, and that which has corroded the, 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 the nature within us, we're emptying it so that the Holy Spirit can come and reside in the temple of God. I am, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh is when the fruit of sin begins to dwell within us, the works of the flesh grow strong and strong and strong. And it originates in the heart, not in the body, but in the heart. And the sins of the flesh listed in this passage right here are clearly seen throughout Scripture. In fact, he says... In this passage, he says that the results are very, very clear. And he lists three things that we're going to unpack today. He lists sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. So today's, today's topic is a topic to fight, to fight for our purity. Now, why is this such a fight for us? It's because we live in a sex-saturated world. And the fight is a real fight because of the images and all that comes at you and I. We live in a culture that is obsessed with sexuality and the sensual. Sexual images are, are used for everything. Sex is used to sell everything. In fact, our sexuality and sex and the images and the graphics of it is the number one value of our society. In fact, studies show that three-fourths uh, three of the, the cases or the images that you see on television of sexuality is illicit, and it's that which is done outside of the boundaries of marriage, three-fourths of that which we would view that deals with sexual content on television. Statistics tell us that over a year, the average viewer will see more than 9,000 sexual images over the television station for the average viewer, and in that implied sexual context, 81% of those encounters are outside of the bounds of marriage. You see, I get a few minutes every week. But television and culture gets it week after week, day after day, and the images just flood us. For the average child that uh, is growing up, by the time they get to 18 years old, they would have seen 93,000 scenes of sexual content, and 72,000 of those scenes are outside of premarital, uh, 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 it's, it's outside of the bonds of marriage in that sexual scene. Years ago, if you wanted to go or, or view pornography or, or, or purchase something that would take you down this road, you would have to go to a specialty shop. 
But now, even unwanted, you will get pornographic images into the home, into the computer, and talk shows on our cell phones. It is everywhere. Can we just agree to that today? Papa Bill, some of you might remember uh, Papa Bill telling the story on Encounter. My youngest son, we were in Vienna. Now in Vienna, in Europe as whole, but in Vienna, nudity uh, and uh, sexuality and, and content was even more explicit. It would be on billboards and everything. And one day he was taking Papa Bill, my uh, young son at that time, three or four years old, he was taking him to preschool and he heard Andrew chuckling and laughing in the back seat. And Papa Bill realized that there was a billboard with a nude woman and you know they don't have leaves or nothing it's there it's right there and 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 Andrew was chuckling and Papa Bill says to Andrew what are you laughing about and Andrew in his innocence of that day said Papa Bill she forgot to get dressed <laughs> Well, that's kind of how we feel, right? With what we view. And, and what's the problem for today is that we are getting desensitized to this immorality and to the impurity. And what used to make us uncomfortable doesn't make us uncomfortable anymore. What used to make us turn a TV channel doesn't make us turn a TV channel anymore because we have gotten desensitized to it. We are no longer shocked by what is happening in society. And therefore, like the church of Corinth, Paul would write to the church of Corinth and I would say to us, if Paul was here today, he would be saying the same to you and I, that there is a danger for the church, a danger for the body of Christ. And the danger is that we allow immorality to come in, that we justify it, we rationalize it, we participate in it, we ignore it, and we even elevate individuals that are caught in it because we have gotten desensitized to it. It was a problem in the Corinth church, the church of Corinth. And Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians, in fact, chapter 5, he deals with it directly. And he says that this is unacceptable for believers. In fact, preaching today would often shy away. People will cringe if a pastor will start talking about issues like this. But I'm here to tell you today that there is a fight that can be won. There is a battle that we must fight. All of us must fight and we can win this battle. We can win the battle of purity. Say it with me. I can win the battle of purity. Flip with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is still our author. He is our writer. We just read Galatians. And now here in Thessalonians, he's writing to the church of Thessalonica. In verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, For God wants you. He's talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord, to the church. God wants you to be what? To be holy. God's will, God's desire is for you to be holy and pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin. Some translations will say immorality. He says the reason is because you're a believer. You are to be sanctified. That's holy. That's set apart. That is pure. Now for 
us, we've got to understand that when we give in to immorality, when we give in to sexual sins, it steals our confidence to come boldly into the throne room of God. And all of a sudden, when we come to worship, and this is why it's the number one value of the enemy that he's trying to get us to give in to this area of immorality and sexual sin is because it steals our confidence to come into the presence of God and to worship God. How many times have individuals come into a worship service where they've come in knowing that they've weakened or they've given in to these issues and they come in and there's guilt, there's shame, there's condemnation and they can't enter into the throne of God with boldness and confidence, with worship in their hearts. The battle for us as men For all of the men that are listening today, it's a battle for your heart and it's a battle for your marriage. It's a battle for your home. It's a battle for your children. And if the enemy can steal that in you, he moves you out of the place that God desires that you'd are to be. And that is the head of the home that leads the home, that guides the home and we lead it with integrity. So if he can get us He can give us to compromise, to rationalize, and to give in. What we do by doing that is we give in to that immorality, and it steals our confidence and our boldness in the Lord. Go down a few verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, go down to uh, verse uh, 7, from verse 3 down to verse 7. He goes on, and Paul says, For God has not called us, in the Living Bible says, to be dirty-minded, And to be full of lust. He doesn't call us to be like that, but to be holy and clean. God's call is a call to holiness. See, God's desire and his plan for you and I when it comes to our sexuality. By the way, he created our sexuality. Do you know that? Sexuality is a gift from God. In fact, we can go all the way back to Genesis. I won't read it, but in in Genesis chapter two, when God uh, 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 forms uh, Eve out of the out of the side of Adam, and and He brings her. In fact, uh, there there's a word that He uses there that that I want to highlight to you in Genesis chapter uh, two. I said I wasn't going to read it, but now I'm going to read it. Then the Lord caused the man, verse twenty one, to fall into a deep, deep sleep. And he took one of his ribs and he closed up the place from which he had removed it. And he made the rib into a woman and brought her to the man. Look at verse 23. In the Living Bible, Adam says, this is it. What does that mean? Adam's going, wow. Whoa. I remember the day I was at Southeastern. I was a young 18-year-old. I was praying in the chapel, and I looked up, and I saw this beautiful blonde across the auditorium. She was praying, and I said, whoa. I said, whoa, this is it. Now, it took her four years to hear from God, but I waited. He said, she is a part of my own blood, a part of my own bone and my flesh. Her name is woman because she has been taken out of man. See, Adam's reaction is that reaction. There was no guilt or shame. In fact, if you go on, it'll say that uh, in verse 25, uh, 25, now although the man and his wife were both naked, neither of them were embarrassed or 
ashamed. Why? It's because there was no guilt or there was no shame. There was no condemnation in what God had created. Sexuality, God has created it for a purpose. The purpose is a spiritual bond, a bond between a husband and a wife. That's why scripture says the two shall become one. There's a purpose in our sexuality, the enjoyment, the pleasure, the intimacy. In that intimacy is a spiritual bond. And therefore, we have to understand it. The problem with sexual pleasure is it can become so obsessive and the enemy is going to use it to pervert it and to twist it and to begin to get us to compromise that we can have that enjoyment and that fulfillment and that intimacy outside of the boundaries of what God has designed. And we buy into that. We, 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 we adopt it and, and we find ourselves being pulled by it. For example, if you were to go swimming, I love uh, going swimming, and many of us do. A, a swimming pool and water is, is, is a beautiful uh, time of just getting together, enjoying, being refreshed on a hot summer day. It's not in and of itself bad, but it can be all of a sudden something that can drown somebody if they don't know how to swim. A house with a fireplace. That house could put in wood. Candy and I love to go to the mountains and put in wood into the fireplace and get the fire burning and it warms up the house and the, and the, you know, and just the logs that are burning and all that's taking place. It's not something that is harmful and yet it can burn down the house. Well, our sexuality has been created by God. It's something God has, has designed for our enjoyment, our pleasure, our intimacy, our spiritual bond. And the scripture says for the procreation, the, the, the reproduction, the being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth. And can we say amen to that? In fact, that's probably the one thing we've gotten right when it comes to all of the good things that God has said about sexuality is because there seems to be something that happens after that spiritual union takes place, and that is there is a multiplication that comes, right? It's the consequences. <laughs> Ken and I did our part. We have three. <laughs> We're waiting for grandbabies now from the one that's married. <laughs> <laughs> but take, Satan takes that which is good and he twists it, he warps it, right? He perverts it. So the question today in my final moments is very simple, really, and that is how do we stay pure? How do I stay pure in a sex-saturated world where sexuality is the world's number one value, but it's perverted and it's twisted and, and so much is presented outside of the boundaries of what God has given. Well, the first thought I would leave with you today is that we've got to adopt, if we're gonna stay pure, we've got to adopt, say it with me, God's standard. Psalm 119 in verse nine says, how, how can anyone keep his way pure. How can he keep his way pure? How can anyone keep his way pure? But by living according to your word. Father, if I can keep your word in my heart, the psalmist is saying, I can stay pure. You see, we have to settle. Every one of us Single or married, 
We have to settle. Are we more committed to doing what God says to meet my needs or to what I think is best for meeting my needs? Am I going to follow my creator or am I going to follow the culture and what the culture is saying and and telling me is acceptable? Am I going to follow the word or am I going to follow the ways of the world? You see, I get to choose. You get to choose. God says to you and I that a husband and a wife, they make a commitment. And as they make that commitment to marriage... That commitment is for pleasure, it's for procreation, it's for a spiritual bond and and an intimacy that's there. But God says that my standard is a standard that I want you to follow. That sex is something that is to be exclusively with a husband and a wife that are in a committed marriage together. And God's plan has not changed. His standard has not changed. Society might say to us that it has changed, but God says it has not changed. In Galatians chapter 5, when I read a few moments ago, we read there in verse 19 uh, that uh, when you follow your desires, the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Why do we get ourselves in a place where we're walking in guilt and shame and condemnation? Why are we faced with the consequences that so many are faced with when they step outside of the boundaries of what God sets for you and I? It's because we follow our own sinful nature and desires. So I want to get you, I want you to get it. I think I even put it as a point in your notes to write down God's standard. So that we're very, very clear is that our sexuality, our sex, is is to be for a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship only. Outside of those parameters, the Bible will say to you and I that it is wrong. Now, can I be clear that our sexual immorality and our lustful passions and desires take us down a lot of different roads? If you're married and you find yourself having sex with somebody outside of your marriage, someone other than who your spouse is, the Bible calls that adultery, and the scripture would say that is wrong. The Bible would say that if, if, if there's sex with another person of the same sex, that is homosexuality, and just like adultery is wrong, homosexuality is wrong. And by the way, Adultery, homosexuality, incest, sex with somebody in your family. Fornication is where two singles are having sexual relationships with one another. Living together outside of the bounds of marriage. Live in marriages is considered immorality. And all of these are considered immorality in sexual sense. And all of them are wrong. There's not lesser or greater sexual sins, they're all sexual sins. It's easy to grow up and think that this sexual sin is worse than that sexual sin, and this one is acceptable, and therefore we engage in that, and, 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 and we, we, we take on this thought, and that thought is a thought contrary to the will and the purpose of God. Look with me here in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we were reading... Verses four, uh, we read uh, verse three. Let me go back there. For God wants you to be holy and pure and to keep clear of all, all, all 
sexual sins. I just want to make that point because sometimes we can get, we can get really big on certain sexual sins and overlook other sexual sins. And by the way, we can see in scripture here in Galatians that the sexual immorality, there is also impurity and there's lustful pleasures. So when I find myself entering into pornography and as I walk down that road of pornography, I have entered into this area of impurity and lustful pleasure. And here Paul would say, all the sexual sin is wrong. By the way, I won't be in the lobby today. <laughs> Candy said, why'd he say that? Because I'm looking at you. She's not. <laughs> I'm going to preach this word, get in my car, and I'm going home. <laughs> just saying, just saying. <laughs> My wife said, why'd he say that? She's not looking at you. I am. <laughs> Lord, I got water in my eyes. <laughs> Let me get back to the word. <laughs> First Thessalonians. Paul said, God wants you. Man, this really hits us. Sometimes we can read over what Paul said to the church of his day and not think about it being a word for us today. He says, I want you to be holy and pure and I want you to keep clear of all sexual sin so that each of you will marry in holiness and honor. And let me just say, man, so many relationships that could have been beautiful relationships are destroyed because of immorality. He says, I want you to marry in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion as the heathens do. In their ignorance, they're heathens because of their ignorance of God and his ways. And this also is God's will. You see, we get excited about walls coming down. We get excited about miracles that are gonna take place. We get excited about breakthroughs that God's gonna come and give to us. And we get excited about those things, and we should. There's some conditions that God wants us to remember. And a condition is I want you to be holy. I want you to be pure. I, I don't want you to act like the, the heathens do. I don't want you to be ignorant of God's way, God's will. I don't want you to be like that. No, God's will that you never cheat in the matter by making another man's wife because the Lord will punish you terribly for this. As you've solemnly told, as I've told you before, for God has not called us to be dirty-minded and full of lust, but to be holy and clean. If anyone refuses to live by these rules, he is not disobeying the rules of man. See, sometimes the church gets the bad rap, but the reality is this is God's will and God's ways, and there's a purpose and a reason, and he says it's God's way, and it's God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Can I hear an amen? You see, our sexuality is for a plan. It's a purpose. It's bringing enjoyment and pleasure. And Paul says right here, Paul is saying in this passage, three things as he says that we willfully disobey God. 
How do I willfully disobey God in this way? I begin to think, well, I know what's best. My pleasures. God's created this in me. He wants me to be happy. I was riding down the road and it was on a radio show one day and it was talking about immorality. And the woman said, God wants me to be happy. Yes, he does. And that's why he calls it marriage. That's what he calls marriage. I know what's best, people would think. And God says, I want you to to walk in my way and I want you to be holy and pure because it brings enjoyment, it brings intimacy, it brings a spiritual bond. It's meant in the confines of marriage to be something that's beautiful and that is what God has planned. Someone said, "Well, well, well, we're in love. Then get married. Get married. If you're in love, get married. What are you waiting for? Paul would say it's better to marry than to burn. It's been established for life. It's been established for something that's beautiful. And yet sometimes because we're delaying marriage and we're delaying that, 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 that event, maybe it's because we idolize what it means to be married. We idolize the kind of person that we should be married and nobody's perfect. And so then we begin to discount people and we find ourselves delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying. And those urges are there and those desires are there. And if we don't, it's okay to delay. It's fine if you got to delay, but discipline your desires if you're going to delay. So Paul says we willingly disobey. He says when we, when we exercise in this way and we go down this route, what happens is that we're acting like unbelievers. And he says, unbelievers don't have convictions, but you are a Christ follower. And because you're a Christ follower, you've got to have convictions. And those convictions don't lead you to follow the passions of your flesh, but those convictions are to say, God, I want your will. I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. So I walk this road because it's a desire to honor you, oh God, and to be what you want me to be and to be a vessel of honor for you. And therefore I act differently than an unbeliever will act. And he says, if you deny that, if you act on those emotions and those passions and you act like unbelievers, then you will be judged. Now we can say, God, why did you make these boundaries? Well, those boundaries were for our benefit and for our protection. I was driving yesterday, and and as I was trying to get to where I was wanting to go, there was a sign that said, do not enter. Don't go this way. I was a little bit frustrated because it was going to mean I was going to have to go all the way around again. But why was it there is because that was the only exit, and it was for my protection. It wasn't to punish me. It was to protect me. And God says that our sexuality is a reflection of that. It's not to punish us, but to protect us. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. We're talking about adopting God's standards. And he says this to young Timothy, the young preacher who was going to be sharing with his congregation. He says, we call this a conditional promise. If, circle it, if, a conditional promise, you're going to get the promise if you meet the condition. If you keep yourself pure, what's the condition? Purity. If you stay pure, you will be what? An utensil that God can use for his purpose. Your life will be clean. 
And you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So God, I want you to use me. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to, I want to walk with you and I want to be used by you. I want my life to honor you in everything. Then he makes it very clear. The promise is, is I'm going to use you. You're going to be my vessel. I'm going to fulfill my purpose through you. But it requires that you walk in obedience to my way. There's freedom, there's, 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 there's a wholeness that comes, but that wholeness and that freedom comes as we walk in his way. So if I'm gonna stay pure, I've gotta adopt God's way. Secondly, I wanna walk you through a few thoughts here on understanding, because it's the way to stay pure, is understanding the stages of temptation. Turn with me over to James chapter one. I told you that would be our third major passage we would look at. In James chapter one, James, the brother of Jesus, is writing, and he says in verse 13, he begins to show us stages for temptation. And and we're gonna see in this that there's a progression. There's a progression that's taking place. There's a process that's happening. Decisions are being made, and as we make those decisions, they're leading us, if we don't recognize it, into immorality. In the beginning stages, it's not sin. But if we allow the passions and the progression to keep moving us along, it turns into sin. James helps us to see how immorality takes place, that there's an identifiable process. It starts with our thoughts. It moves to our emotions, and then we act upon it. Andrew, seeing the nudity on the billboard was nothing that he could do, nothing that we could do to stop it because it was there. But if we act upon it and those emotions that begin to get stirred is something that we begin to act upon, then James is going to show us that it becomes sin. That's why we have to be careful to guard our heart. Can I hear an amen? We gotta guard what we think. We gotta guard our life because it's shaped by our thoughts. Proverbs 4.23 would say, that's why this is so important. Proverbs uh, uh, 23.19, and we gotta keep our mind and we have to watch our mind and keep it in a right state if we're going to stay pure. So James is gonna help us to understand these stages of temptation. Let me read it to you. Let no one say when he is tempted... Temptation is not the sin. It's when I give in, when, I am, when he is tempted, that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, you act upon the lust. You don't discipline your desires and your passions. It brings forth death, spiritual death. Separation from God is this passage here. Brings forth spiritual separation. You do not, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. My brother, and every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
So quickly here, it starts, James says, with the look. Say the look. When each one is drawn away, there's an enticement. The enemy of your soul is baiting you. There's a vulnerability that he's working on and he's drawing you away. You see, we've got to understand what and when are the times that I am more vulnerable that the enemy begins to tempt me. Is it when I'm exhausted? Is it when I'm discouraged? Is it after spiritual highs? And the reason many times that happens, remember your intimacy is linked to your spirituality and in spiritual climates that are spiritually high, the enemy comes in right after with temptation to try to take away that which has been gained spiritually. The enemy tries to steal it and take it away. That's why youth pastors will often work with youth after youth camps to be careful that coming after a youth camp that you guard your purity because the enemy is there after those spiritual highs. Are you more enticed when you're lonely? Are you more uh, uh, vulnerable when you're hurt or wounded, when your spouse has said or done something, when you get frustrated or you're bored? When is it that you find yourself being drifting? And you're being called away. You're, you, 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 you're being drawn away. You're being enticed. It's the look. Now, television, again, television and movies, they, they, they got us to a place that our resistance to sin is being lowered and we're glamorizing it. And, 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 and it makes us feel like everybody's doing it and they're normalizing the, the immorality and the passions and the sexual sins. And, and boy, the television and the movies never show you the consequences of what comes from that sexual activity. They never show it to you. They can get you to laugh about it, joke about it, normalize it. Then it's something that you find yourself giving into. Proverbs 119 verse 37 says, keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Psalm 103, Psalm 101 verse 3, I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. My action step has got to be when I feel myself being drawn away and enticed that I've got to draw back instantly. Say draw back. I, when I sense that I'm being pulled away, there's got to be something in me spiritually. I've got to be prepared to says, God, draw me back. Help me to get to my senses. A second thing that begins to happen, Paul says, is the look begins to turn to lust. He is drawn away by his own desires. The craving of the sinful nature, the craving within, the enemy baits you. Man, friends of yours give in to certain things and you wonder, how could you ever do that? How could you go there? That's not your temptation. That's their temptation. But the enemy will work with your temptation and therefore you've got to understand your vulnerability. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't sit where that place will be where you're going to be tempted. Recognize those kinds of situations that will tempt you. Look here in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Be careful. If you're thinking, oh, I would never behave like that, lest this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. 
See, ignorance will kill us. Ignorance will entrap us. We've got to be alert and be wise and be aware. We've got to understand these situations. So what's the action step is to consciously and, 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 and constantly just be saying, God, help me to recognize every temptation. Let me know when I'm being tempted, why I'm being tempted, who am I with when I'm tempted, which settings am I in that I get tempted. Some of you singles, you go out with certain individuals and you find yourself in places that you didn't want to go, doing things that you didn't think you would do with people that you really don't like and want to be around, but you're lonely and you want that company. And before you know it, you've given in to some things in your life. Now we're talking about sexuality, but of course, temptation can go to any area. Am I right? So where am I when I'm tempted? Where am I? When am I? Who am I with? How am I when I'm feeling like this? What happens You see, there's the lure. And then thirdly, there, uh, secondly, there is the lust. There's the look, the lust, then the lure. The lure is we're enticed. When we get enticed, we're going to begin to give in. By the way, stages one through three of this journey are just our emotions. It's not sin. Our emotions are entering in. And if we can learn how to establish protective guidelines, training ourselves on how to avoid that situation, then we can win the battle. And that's what I pray that in your life group, as you talk about temptation and you talk about building boundaries that will help you and protect you, that there'll be vulnerability as you talk, that this is what I've had to do to overcome and to win this battle, because then we spur one another on in the Lord. Can I hear amen? Ephesians 5, 3, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality not even a hint some translations say the appearance of evil that we guard ourselves why do we have a policy for our staff and our pastors that they don't uh, ride in vehicles with somebody of the opposite sex alone because of the appearance of evil We don't want the appearance of evil. Why do we not allow our staff to go out and eat alone? Pastor Nadine and I have never had a a, a meal together alone. My assistant Elizabeth is sitting here. We have never had a meal together alone. If I'm meeting with these ladies, the door is open. It's cracked. Sometimes somebody will close the door after a meeting and one of us will roll our eyes because we got to get up and go open the door because we don't want any appearance or hand of evil oh that's old fashioned well it may be old fashioned but it's boundaries that protect us we don't want these kinds of situations that would give a hint of evil in any way practical standards and guidelines will help you so what's the action step is we've got to quench improper desires by stopping all internal enticements and fleeing the bible just says flee and the devil will leave when we stop it and we flee from it the enemy will leave us alone stage four if we don't stop what happens is now it begins to conceive, the, the conception of it, the emotion turns to thought, and now when he desires it, and he's drawn away by his own lust, James says, when that desire is conceived. 
Now it turns from the emotion to the thought that I'm going to act upon this. This is when you grab your phone and you decide you're going to surf a site because there's a desire and emotion that leads you now to pornography and you've made a decision now that you're going to search the site. You get in a place where you're hidden. You get in the dark. You get in a place where nobody will see. You begin to think about how you will act upon it and now evil is overcoming you and you're giving in. Instead of taking every thought captive, the thought is taking you captive and it's pulling you along. How do we win this battle? Is we got to make pre-decisions. Say, pre-decisions. We have to decide ahead of time that we're not going to do this. Pre-decisions as you buy an app you give a, a, a trusted individual, your spouse or, or someone's close to you, the password that will tell them if you've gone into a site that's pornographic. You put it on all your devices. You make sure that there's guardrails. If you're going to travel, you make sure that you're not going to go out to dinner with somebody by yourself. You put boundaries. You make pre-decisions. And they might ridicule you and mock you. But what you're doing is you're protecting your own heart and you're guarding yourself. You're deciding ahead of time that I'm not going to go there. And so you're permitting yourself not to go there. And you're giving yourself a good reason to say, I'm going to stop this. That leads, if you don't make that determination, if you don't take that action step and determine ahead of time, this is what I'm going to do, and you give birth to it, you conceive it, it gives birth to sin. Now, this is when the emotions that were now thoughts become action, and it births into sin. It becomes sin. No longer is it now a temptation, but now you've acted upon it, and that's where all of a sudden we find sin has entered in. What do we do? What's the action step? If you find yourself beginning to give in, and you're being bound by something, is you've got to slam on the brakes. Say, slam on the brakes. You've got to determine that you're going to break it. You've got to determine that you're going to find some things that will move you away from it. And you're going to walk from it. And that comes back to repentance. You see, repentance, when I've given in to sin, all of a sudden the slamming of the brake says, I'm not going to do it any longer. This temptation, this sin, this immorality, this adulterous affair, this homosexual affair, this pornographic addiction, these impurities, these things that I'm dealing with, I want to walk away from it. And there's a repentance and repentance says, I'm turning from it. You can't play with this. There's no, there's, there, there's no winging off of immorality. <laughs> one act pulls you back. And guys, you know it's true. One pornographic, one pornographic image and it's locked in your mind again. And now you got to go through a process of cleansing again and purifying the mind and getting it out. There's no winging off of it. You don't go from seven days to say, oh, only five days am I going to do it? Only three days. No, 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 no. You turn your back to it. <laughs> that was a good place for an amen, but... It gives birth, and that birth is a sin. That leads then, if you don't repent, that it begins to grow. Sin begins to become full grown. It grows. One sin leads to another sin. And the best thing that you and I can do, and can I say this for all of us, is magnify. Say magnify. Magnify the consequences of that sin. If you're married, 
Magnify the consequences of that adulterous relationship. If you're having an attraction towards someone of the same sex, slam the brakes, get support, get into some settings that can help you walk through the emotions because you can overcome it. Others have, you can, but magnify the consequences of what that's going to do. If you're a single having a relationship with somebody that's not your spouse, magnify the consequences. What's going to happen? There's a price tag. It's going to cost you. It's going to damage. It's going to have some effect. And you've got to magnify that in your heart. Man, when I work with pastors that have not uh, followed this advice, they look and they see that they've ruined their ministry. They've ruined their family. It's an impact upon their children. It's something that their children are gonna have to do. And the thing about ministry is your work is linked to your livelihood. And if you give in to this area, all of a sudden, everything collapses. And we try to say to ministers, magnify the consequences. Because those few moments of gratification will never equal never equal the magnification of the reality of the consequences that you're going to face. Immorality, Proverbs 6, 26 says, immorality will cost you your life. Hollywood can make it sensational and it can glamorize it. Reality shows pleasure this and pleasure that and everything may act like it's fun and it's something that can happen. And if we're not careful as believers, we find ourselves coming in. But today, my action step to all of us is to say, wake up, we've gotta wake up, we've gotta wake up. And we're striving to be sexually pure. Because stage seven is a stage that there is spiritual death. There is separation. It brings death. And therefore, the action step for you and I is to cry out and say, God, help me to overcome. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Today, the third point is a point that I've already covered. I was going to simplify it, but I'm going to pass over it. Today, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Trust me. When I say, I believe with all my heart, we can win this battle. We can fight this fight. We can win from within. Can I hear an amen? If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.